dear God, I call to you and I call to you, but it's no use. People laugh at me and they shake their heads and say, let's see how God handles this one. But you don't handle it. You don't, you don't handle it. And I'm asking for your help, but why don't you give it to me? Please take a minute to reflect on these words and how they apply to your life. I feel pretty confident that we can all relate to some of the words that Maggie just read from Psalm 22. I feel pretty confident in saying that there has probably been a time in your life where you have thought some of those same things and felt the same way. Maybe this morning, that's where you're at. And we intentionally are reading those words from the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament Because, number one, we want you to understand that this has been part of the human experience for a long time. These things that you have felt in your life are not new. But we also want you to to, to understand that in the Scriptures we find that these feelings that we have are actually expressed in Scripture to God Himself. What we're doing in this series, When God Doesn't Make Sense, is we're wrestling through some of the things that we, as a family of faith, experience in, in the world that we live in. Because sometimes it seems like God is asleep at the wheel or worse. We're wrestling through when it seems like God is distant. Or when it seems like God is unjust. Or when it seems like God would be disappointed. This morning we're going to wrestle through the notion that sometimes God seems to be uncooperative. Uncooperative. And living in a house where we have uh, four children, eight and under, the idea of uncooperative comes up... uh, about 20 times a day, where the children will come out of their rooms, usually two at a time, and there's something. Dad, Chloe this, and blah, Isaac that, and Dad. And so they come, and basically the complaint is that one of their siblings was not being cooperative. They don't say it in those words. And we usually don't try to solve those problems for our children, because we usually try to wrestle through and say, what do you think you should do about that? And the reason we don't try to solve those problems for them is because those problems are not going to go away as they get older. I spent about seven hours, I think, this week working with adults who were accusing other adults of being uncooperative. Okay? I was actually one of them. I want to tell you a story. This, uh, this morning I came in and drove in about uh, 6.20 or so, and I was expecting to see a large chunk of the parking lot roped off because I got emails on Monday that said 
that uh, the, the contractors that were going to reseal a good chunk of the parking lot out there uh, were going to do this on Sunday morning at 7 o'clock because, after all, that's the best time of the week to reseal and restripe the parking lot. And I'm going, and so I'm responding to emails going, okay, really? Like, we know that we, we kind of send out a mailer for the first time in a few years to, like, everyone in Washington County. We're launching the site here, uh, the community center, with the series to some extent officially. Uh, I had nine uh, Connect cards last week, and that's just from people who filled them out. Okay? And I'm going, guys, really? The, the, the time when there are more cars in the entire parking lot complex, the, the, the whole week, that's the time we're going to seal and stripe this thing. And so my response was, well, can they seal and stripe it if I come at 5.30 and park my car there? He said, Troy, don't do that. I, I, uh, so I went and I got more information. And what I found out was that the contractors who are trying to do this, they were making basically a Herculean effort to try to get this thing done because the rain and the weather that we've had over the past two, three weeks has put them extremely behind. And if they didn't get it done uh, based on kind of temperature and timing, there's a decent chance if they didn't do it this morning at 7 that it may not get done until next spring, which would be a bad deal. Not to mention we don't pay for it and we benefit from it. So now putting all those things into perspective, who is really the one being uncooperative? That's right, them. Well, as it turns out, they didn't show up. I mean, I, th- I think the weather wasn't actually cooperating with them. So I, I think it's about perspective, isn't it? A lot of times this has to do with our perspective. And I think the same is true with God. Perhaps you're identifying with the words that Maggie read from Psalm 22. And you see God is completely uncooperative. He's not coming through for you. He doesn't seem to be listening or responding or getting on board with what you've got in your plans. But could it be that God might not be as uncooperative as we might think? Could it be that it's a matter of perspective? And so to dig into that question, we're going to look at the psalm that Maggie read to us this morning, Psalm 22. So I'd encourage you to grab a Bible. We know already that these words, we can identify with these words. Is there anything else we can learn from them? So Psalm 22 is in the Brown Bibles, page 391. If you have your own Bibles, they're about halfway in the middle, you'll find Psalms. And I'd really strongly encourage you to follow uh, along with us on page uh, 391. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the brown Bible is under the chairs. You can take, uh, take one of those home with you. Um, we'd like you to be reading that. So as we open up to Psalm 22, we're, we're going back in time about 3,000 years. And we're going to get some insights into the heart and the mind of a guy named David. And this is David, the same David of David and Goliath. This is the same David of David and Bathsheba. This is the same David who had a secret chord that pleased the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's not true, but it was from a song. You've heard that song? Anyway. David was the king of Israel about 3,000 years ago. And he was a warrior, but he was also a poet who wrote a bunch of songs that we call psalms. And one of the things that I think we can all identify with is songs. In songs, when we can't express kind of how we feel, we find those things expressed in songs oftentimes. Songs are visceral, emotive, and raw. And we find the same is true in the psalms. They're visceral, they're raw, they're emotive, and a lot of times they're directed at God himself. And here in Psalm 22 we find something that's exactly that. Um, I'm going to read in three different chunks. I'm going to start with the first 11 verses, but before we do that I want to pray briefly. Father, uh, we come before you as we open this up. We know this is written a long time ago, but God, we do ask that you would show us that this is extremely relevant for us today, that you are trying to speak to us through this. Father, help us to identify with this, knowing that you may not have written it specifically um, to us, but you have written it for us so we can learn about who you are. 
Show us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. That you are enthroned is the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. And you, they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Hey, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even from my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. And there is no one to help. So you can probably identify with some of these words, right? God, why have you forsaken me? Why aren't you listening? Why don't you do something? I can't sleep at night. Could use a little help. Or as in one of my favorite um, movies, Tommy Boy says, Need a little wind here. Do you remember that scene where he's in the boat and there's no wind? I digress. It's hilarious, though. I was saying something. Okay, yeah, God, what are you... What? Why aren't you cooperating? Need a little help here. But as we read these words, folks, we can't forget who is writing these words because it's really important. It's really important. Because if ever there was someone throughout history that God would want to cooperate with, it was David. Okay? So David was a man who God said to king, or he said to the prophet Samuel, he said, Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to anoint David as the king over Israel. And it's not based on the outward appearance, it's based on the heart. David was seen as a man after God's own heart. God promised David, he said, David, I'm going to make your name among the greatest names of all men throughout the world and throughout history. That's what God promised. Now, how many of you, before you came in here today, have heard of King David? Probably all of you would raise your hand. Check that box. Right? David also was promised by God. God said, hey, of your line, there is going to come a king who is going to have a kingdom without end. It's a big promise. So here's the reason I bring that up, because, folks, if ever there was anyone that God would want to probably cooperate with, it probably would have been David. And yet, we see in this psalm that it seems as though that's not the case, that we can hear it in the anguish in David's words. And so I want to pass on to you just a time out and give you a, a very practical application. Here it is from this psalm, 3,000 years old. Here's what we learn. You can, it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to be vulnerable with God. It's okay to ask the, the hard questions. God, where are you? God, what is going on? That is okay. We find it right here in this psalm. I think sometimes we don't think we can do that. But we find it right here. There is a, a gal named Brene Brown. She's a research professor and focuses a ton on the ideas of empathy and vulnerability. It's kind of her area of focus. I don't think she's a Christian, but, but she's found this, uh, this great uh, quote. I found this great quote. She talks about vulnerability. So this is what I found. To let ourselves be seen, deeply seen, vulnerably seen. To love with our whole hearts, even though there's no guarantee. To be able to stop and instead of catastrophizing what might happen, to say, I'm so grateful because to feel this vulnerable means I'm alive. 
And I think we know that from relationships, folks, don't we? We know that there is something about the fact that when we're able to be vulnerable, that we can actually experience life a little bit more. It's real. It's raw. And, and, and I think sometimes we don't think we can do that with each other. We hold it up, lock it away, throw away the key. Just stay that right down in here. And I think we do the same sometimes with God. But here we see that we can wrestle through. He says, my God, my God. You know what? It's good. I think it's sometimes good to wrestle with God because when we wrestle with God, we say, God, what's going on? It at least demonstrates that we have enough faith. We believe enough in God to say, hey, this isn't right. When you look at what David's doing here, he's not, he's not praying to some far off God or he's saying, hey, wood statue, you're not answering my prayers. He's like, my God, we are in relationship. We have a relationship, but something, there's something wrong with our relationship right now. There's a distance I feel like you're not cooperating. You're not answering. He's like, I know all my ancestors seem to have called out to you and you seem to answer them, but you don't seem to have my back the way that you had their back. I'm a worm. Everyone, actually everyone despises me and they actually are making fun of me because of you. They're making, they're ripping on me specifically because of the situation that you are not saving me. You just talk about pouring salt in the wounds. God, you seem far, even though trouble is near. There's nobody to help, including you. This is David's experience. And I think we can empathize with this at times. I I, I think, however, though, one of the perceptions that's out there is that Christians need to handle uh, hard things like Ned Flanders. Everything's fine, dilly, fine there, Donnelly, Donnelly. You know, like that's the perception that we have to to have if things go wrong. It's like, hey, hadley hell. It's all good. Or the old, uh, you remember the Crest commercials, you can say anything with a smile. If you haven't seen them, you need to look them up because they're hilarious. There's one, the guy pulls up in a bulldozer right up to a playground, okay? And he, he pulls up there and um, the kids are there and they're like, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to bulldoze the playground. And they're like, why? Put up a power station. It's going to be dirty and loud. Awesome. And so the, the commercial says, you can say anything with a smile, because they're like, okay. You know, like, that, that's kind of the perception, I think, that sometimes that we as Christians are supposed to handle everything. And, and it, while on one hand, we've got to keep in mind that because those who follow Jesus Christ have a hope that supersedes all of our circumstances, that, that we have that, that still doesn't mean that we aren't able to to mourn and to, to be broken by what we see in the world or what, our, you know, what we see in our own lives or in our own hearts. That's okay to do that. David's showing us what it looks like right here. And in verse 12, he gets like more specific. Here we go, next chunk, verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, be not far off. Oh, my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me. From the mouth of the lions, save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I mean, he's got, he's got some detail in here. He's like, God, don't you understand? Don't you see what's going on? I'm surrounded by my enemies. 
my body is trashed. He's like, I'm starving. I'm naked, basically, is what he's saying. Your help. Now, historically speaking, we don't necessarily see evidence of all the things that David just said actually happening to him. Okay? We know that David was surrounded by his enemies a bunch of times. We do know that. Saul, King Saul, was trying to kill him all the time, even when his sons grew up and, and they started to pursue him sometimes. His family story sometimes was like an episode of The Sopranos, David's, okay? We know that he experienced kind of like the weight of his own sin when he was called out for his affair with Bathsheba. We know that, but, but even if you were to take all the times where David was persecuted, put him into one, it still doesn't really paint the picture that we see here. This, this is some intense stuff. He's like, all my, bo- all my bones, all of them are out of joint. And my heart is like wax. They pierced his hands and feet. We don't have evidence of David actually going through those things. He's painting a picture here, and the picture is not very pretty. And in the midst of it, he's still crying out, God, why are you not cooperating with me? Help. And so I want you to fast forward 3,000 years. Just this week, I heard these things from people. My sister was diagnosed with aggressive stage 3 cancer, I heard. I heard, my husband is done. I heard, my wife is done with our marriage. I heard, there is a boy who had to go to the emergency room because his mom was strung out on drugs, wasn't feeding him for a couple days. He was completely undernourished. I heard, I'm pregnant and I don't want the baby. And that's just in the last few days, and I forget stuff. I mean, we, we, we can relate. We hear echoes of Psalm 22. God, what is going on? God, where are you in the midst of all this stuff? But as I mentioned earlier, perspective is important, isn't it? And our perspective changes the way that we see things. And something about David's perspective changes between verse 21 and verse 22. Okay? Because the rest, for some reason, the rest of the psalm is completely different. Check this out. You're going to get whiplash as we go into into verse 22 here. Let's finish this out. He just said, Rescue me from the mouth of the lion, save me from the horns of the wild ox. As we just said. Now verse 22. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn. For He has done it. So somehow, we went in verse 21 from a psalm of deep, intense lament to a psalm in verse 22 of of praise. We went from a psalm where it's like, hey, God's hidden His face from me, He's completely abandoned me, to... God has not hidden His face. God has not abandoned me. We hear, we go from, oh, my enemies have encircled me to because I depend on God, they're making fun of me, to, to, hey, I'm encircled by people who are proclaiming His faithfulness. What happened? Did, did, did David get reminded of a promise 
Did, did, did he have an experience of worship in the midst of, of all this? Did he put his pen down at verse 21, go get some ice cream and come back? I don't know. But I have a guess that I want to share with you because I think it's a good one. So I think perhaps in verse 21, David wrote some words and then he thought about it for a second before he, re- he finished the rest out. In verse 21, he wrote this, Rescue me from the mouth of the lions, save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And perhaps right then, between verse 21 and 22, he remembered that God had actually done that exact thing. God had actually done that exact thing. So there's this great account. If you're familiar with the, uh, the David and Goliath story at all, it's in 1 Samuel 17, it's great. The story goes like this. The, the armies of Israel are kind of in this one camp and the armies of the Philistines are in another camp and Goliath comes out and he's like, let's just do this mano y mano. You bring a man, any man that he fights me, whoever wins, wins. How's that? He's a giant. He's just a giant of a man. And David's brothers are all there and the Israelites are all there and they're all just like, ooh, shaking in their boots. And David, who is out in the field, ends up coming down to the battle lines and he's like, what? What's going on here? And um, they tell him, and he goes, I'll take him. He's a young, young lad. And, and Saul says, We, laddie, you can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat. Okay, like, like he's like, you're too small. You can't, you can't take on Goliath. And David says, he says, look, I understand. I get it. But I've been watching after my family's sheep for a long time. And any time a bear comes in here, and any time a lion comes up in here, I, and they try to take my sheep, we, I take them out. I take him down. And he said these exact words. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. That's what he says. And do you want to know how that story ends? I think you know. There's a stone. It goes here. And then David cuts the guy's head off. That's what happens. He remembered, I think, God has done the things that He is asking Him to do. He's, he has done it. Save me from the boss of lions. He's like, I remember. His lament changes his perspective into a praise. And he's reminded, here's I think a couple of things. This is very practical for us. I think David was reminded of two things. One, that there is something bigger going on than just his little story. And he's also reminded that, that God has sought to save him in the past. That's what he's reminded of. And so when it comes to us and we say, God, I feel like you're being uncooperative, we need to remember the same two things. That perhaps there's something bigger going on than what's our own little story, and perhaps that we need to remember that God has sought to save us in the past. I want to start with the first one by wrestling through this idea that perhaps there's something bigger going on than what's going on in our own little world. So to do that, I want to tee it up by showing you a brief clip from a movie you may be familiar with. Okay, who's that? It's Captain Jack Sparrow, savvy? It's not Johnny Depp, right, in, in Pirates of the Caribbean. You've ever heard of it, folks? You've seen, you've heard of this? Okay, there's a movie that Disney put it out. It's actually pretty fun. Anyway, let me, t- let me ask this. Those of you who've seen these movies, um, does the compass that he's using there point north? No, it doesn't. It points to, whoever has it, it points to whatever their heart wants the most, Right? 
And that's and there's like two or three, I think, different scenes throughout the movies where you see that kind of thing happen, where they open the compass up, whoever's got it, and it's like freaking out, and they can't figure out which way it's, it's going. And so we could say, well, is the compass not cooperating? No. The problem is whoever's holding it doesn't know what they want in their hearts. That's the problem. And they have to figure it out before it actually works. Now, I have a compass here that I brought with me. It's not, the, it's not Jack Sparrow's compass, sorry. This one points north. And if I go this way over here, and I look like this, it still points north. And if I go over here, it still points north. But here's what I think we do. I think this is a, when I was thinking about it, I was like, this is a lot of times what it looks like with our relationship with God. First of all, what we do is we believe we've been given a choice where we could pick one of these compasses. So we can pick this one or we can pick Jack Sparrow's compass. And our choice is most of the time like, yes, this one please, because this one will point me to whatever it is that I want. So we take this compass, the Jack Sparrow one, and we look at it and we, it starts flipping out and freaking out because we don't know what we want. And finally, maybe it settles on something and so we go to it. And then we get over there and we're like, shoot, it's still whipping around. Why? Because that's not what we, we got there and it's not really what we wanted, is it? It was a dead end. And so we go over here now and we keep going back and forth. And then what we do is we say, God, why aren't you cooperating with this compass that I'm trying to use? He's like, uh, I got this one. This is what I'm trying to, to, to have you use. Because I actually know where, where this is going. I know where things are headed and I actually know what's best for you. And you probably should use this one. Folks, a lot of times I think we just think of God being uncooperative. If you look throughout Scripture, you will not find the picture painted of a God who is uncooperative. You will find a picture of a God who is very cooperative. You go back to Genesis, and you'll find we, He comes in after He creates things. It's all good. We mess it up. He comes in to start to clean it up, start to bring reconciliation, restoration right away. And then He takes a family, Abraham's family, messed up, okay? And He's like, I'm going to use this family nonetheless. To, to, to have them be a people who would point people of all the earth to this and the way I am going and the way we're headed and who I am. And they're like, ah! And then, and, then, and then he rescues them and says, I'm going to give you a law, not because it's about the law, but because he's like, I want to make sure you understand where I'm headed. So this is where we're going. Point them to me. Point it to me. This is what we're trying to do. They're like, we don't want the law and we don't want you. And God's like, um, okay, I'll step back. We'll see how this plays out. And so he lets them go after their own compasses running around everywhere. Horrible, destructive things happen. And they're like, ah, yeah, yeah. And so they cry out. And God's like, all right, we'll figure it out. And then they're like, oh, they figure it out. And they're like, oh, good, it's all good. Get out of the way again, God. Okay. Does it over and over and over again. They say, uh, we, maybe we think you're, you're supposed to be king, God, but we don't want you as king. We want our own king. He's like, ah, it's not going to work out so good. We don't care. Give us a king. So he does. Guess what? doesn't work out so good. He cooperates, though. And through this theme and this underlying this direction, he consistently is cooperating with and seeking to be more, just unbelievably steadfast and patient in his cooperation. And yet we're running around trying to say, well, we've got our own course set. We don't need your course. We've got our own course set. And if you don't get on board, God, you're not cooperating. Dr. Tim Keller has this great quote. Um, Very often God does not give us exactly what we ask for. Instead, he gives us what we would have asked for if we had known everything that he does. Let 
And I think that all of us can probably relate to a time where we're like, I know what I want, and I pray, God, would you give me this thing? He doesn't give it to us. We get mad at him, and then we recognize later on, okay, kind of glad that didn't play out that way. Instead, he gives us what we would have asked for if we would known everything that he knows. So like David, we need to be reminded, when we think God's uncooperative, we need to be reminded there's something bigger going on than what's going on in our own little stories. The second thing that we need to be reminded of, though, is that like David, we also, God has also sought to save us in the past. Okay? If you were to fast forward about a thousand years after this was written, and you were to follow David's family tree, descendants upon descendants, his children, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, there is uh, one of the line of David named Joseph. In his house there is born a son named Jesus who was raised as a com- uh, carpenter. But he was much more than a carpenter. And what we find is that it sure seems to point that this Jesus is the one that God had promised that would be the king who would have a kingdom without end. But then for some reason, he ends up on a cross. And ironically on that cross, he quotes Psalm 22, Jesus does. In fact, Psalm 22 is quoted 24 times in the New Testament. 15 of those times is directly around the passion or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I want to show you just four of them, connections right now. Psalm 22 starts, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You probably have heard that before because you read Mark 15. Or you've heard this at at Good Friday. Uh, The ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's word for word. Psalm 22, 7 through 8. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Matthew 27. (coughs) Those who passed by hurled insults at him on the cross, shaking their heads. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Dogs in 22, Psalm, uh, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men encircled me, pierced my hands and feet. In Matthew 27, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. They gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They led him away to crucify him. Psalm 22, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That, we don't know that of that ever happening to David. But in John 19, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. He's basically naked. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's divide by lot who will get it. This happened so Psalm 22 would be fulfilled. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Keller writes these words again. He says, imagine this. Imagine you have been an avid follower of Jesus. You've seen his power to heal and do miracles. You've heard the unsurpassed wisdom of his speech and the quality of his character. But then you are at the cross with the few of his disciples who have the stomach to watch. And you hear people say, I've had it with this God. How could he abandon the best man we have ever seen? I don't see how God could bring any good out of this. What would you say? You would likely agree. And yet, you are standing there looking at the greatest most brilliant thing God could ever do for the human race. Brothers and sisters, God is not uncooperative. And what looks to be His greatest moment of uncooperativeness is actually His greatest victory and most cooperative moment in all of human history. It's not God forsaking us. It's God saving those who believe in His Son. It's not God abandoning us. It's God rescuing those who have faith in His Son. And not just rescuing us from the mouths of lions and enemies who surround us, but rescuing us from sin 
in our own hearts, rescuing us ultimately by victoriously rising from the grave, rescuing us from death itself. He has done it in Christ. Check this last slide. The end of Psalm 22 says, They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, for He has done it. And John 19, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished in Christ. He has stopped at nothing. So when we feel like God's not cooperating with us, folks, we have to change our perspective. We have to be reminded that it's not all about us and that, that God has sought to save us and it is finished in Christ Jesus through faith in Him. So here's the deal. When you feel like God has abandoned you, when you feel like that first lie where, my God, why, have you forsaken me? Remember that, that Jesus was forsaken for you. That we experience a perceived distance and abandonment from God. Jesus experienced the reality of it. That Jesus experienced hell so that we would never have to experience that place. He experienced it on our behalf. When the world thrusts and hurls insults at you, when you hear other people ripping into you, remember that Jesus Christ was mocked on your behalf. That as He was on the cross, people were like, well, hey, if God cares, wouldn't he, need, he would come and save you. And Jesus could have been rescued. He could have done it Himself, but He chose to stay so that shame would not be what we have to experience in Christ. When you are experiencing sickness or pain or someone else in your family you love, when, the, when those illnesses come your way, rem- remember the hands and the feet of Jesus that were pierced for you. So that one day those who believe in Jesus will experience a new heaven and a new earth. One without tears, one without illness, sickness, pain, or death because of His death on the cross and His victory over the grave. When you feel like you're down and out, like you may be in a situation where you're like, I don't know how I can provide for my family. You're like, I don't even know how I can put food on the table. Remember that Jesus Christ on the cross was basically almost naked, was robbed of all of His possessions so that you might experience the only possession you really need, which is the right relationship with the Father. This is the perspective that we need to keep in mind. We keep coming back to it again and again. When we think that God's being uncooperative, we have to remember that Jesus Himself experienced the only uncooperativeness in history when He was abandoned by the Father so we'd never have to be. So that even though we may cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We will know that He has not and He will not in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You so much that You have sent Your Son, Jesus. That when it seems as though You were being uncooperative, that You were being infinitely cooperative, cosmically cooperative. Father, if there's those here today who do not understand the lengths to which you have gone to rescue them, I pray, Lord, that they would experience this this morning. That they would know the lengths that you went to in Christ. That they would set down the compass that they're using to go wherever it is that they want to go and realize that you have set a course out for them in Christ that is best for them. 
because it's, it's pointing them towards you. You're the greatest thing that we could have. Father, for those of, of us who maybe are in that relationship with you, help us to repent when we w- repent of our unbelief. We come to a place where we, we, we start to think you're not being cooperative. Help us to repent of the unbelief of the fact that you have saved us in Christ in the past. We have been saved. We are being saved now and we will be saved one day in him and through him. Help us to keep this in mind and live in light of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.